this morning as uh, as we're here, you know, I'd asked Daniel, well, I told Daniel what I was preaching on and, um, you know, and those, the songs he picked out this morning, I think, set us up perfectly. If you looked in our, our bulletin, you see that the title of my message is, Lord, Help My Unbelief. And, um, you know, and this, this has come about over the last several several weeks that God really placed this on my heart and, and built this up. And um, uh, one part of whenever you're preaching or, or, or speaking is trying to come up with some sort of uh, fairly catchy opening. And uh, Mr. Hislam hasn't told me any good jokes lately, so I can't share any of those. So, um, so I'll tell... Uh, I want to tell a story. Some of you know, some of you don't know, some of you know and don't care, uh, but uh, back in November, I ran a 50-mile race in, in, over by Mountainburg. Um, started at 6 in the morning, and it was about uh, 27 degrees or so when we started, and, um, you know, and, and I had signed up for it right as soon as it was announced last May. And I had, I had done a race that was about 31 miles last February, but I still was not real sure if this was, if this was possible for me to do. And as most of you would say, it sure wasn't smart enough smart for me to attempt to do um yeah um and everyone everyone if you don't run uh, pretty much everyone in here has said well the only way you'll see me going that far is if someone's chasing me uh, i the runners hear that that phrase all the time uh, um or i don't like to drive that far um but anyway as I was getting ready, I, I honestly, I didn't know, you know, obviously I'm going to tie this into unbelief, but I really didn't know for sure if I could do this. Uh, some of you also know I have arthritis, uh, but through really good medicine, it doesn't really affect me a whole lot. Um, and so, you know, I, I knew that really it wasn't, it wasn't about that, it was just about being able to put the training in, and so... I was training and I was having to run uh, miles and, you know, especially less during the summer it was really hot and, and getting up early and uh, running on Sunday mornings, sometimes before church and just different things. And luckily I have my wife and uh, good friends who ran at different times with me or at least pretended to cheer me on if they weren't with me. Um, you know, I, finally, it really wasn't until about uh, three weeks before my race that I finally, I had a, I had a run um, up on Mount Nebo where I had another friend. I said, you know, just, just tell me a route that I can go and get a certain number of miles in that's going to be uh, really, really tough, that you think would be hard. And if I can go run that and then run the next day, 
then I'll feel good. And I was able to do that. And so all of a sudden, I, I, I told people, I'm like, people said, you know, are you ready? I said, I'm finally ready. And then the morning of the race, uh, I, I felt good. Um, and when I say race, this is not one where I'm thinking, hey, man, I'm going to win this. This was, a, this was a race of me against the miles. And there was a time clock. Uh, I had to finish within 14 hours. And again, I understand. You're wondering why anyone would allow me to stand up here and preach if I'm dumb enough to be out there and run for 14 hours. I get it. Uh, but it was a personal challenge. Uh, I think all of you have had something, or I hope all of you have had something in your life that you've challenged yourself with. And so, I finally, I'd gotten over my unbelief. I was, I was to the point where I was believing. And then, along the way, there are aid stations. And this is the part that, that might, might get some of you to go out. There are aid stations along the way. And on a trail run especially, an aid station uh, has every kind of soda you could want, quesadillas, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, uh, all this. The second aid station I got to had bacon, and I ate like a half a pound of bacon. But I, I was also just thinking, I, I, need, I need fuel. And so at the same time I was eating bacon, I was also grabbing a handful of jelly beans and then also like a quesadilla with guacamole and just chewing all that at one time and washing it down with some pickle juice and all that. Um, I know, I just sucked the joy right out of all of that. But the aid stations, the race was, the race director, who's from Colorado, um, he said, well, the race is not actually 50 miles. It's more like 49 miles. And what I figured out is people from Colorado lie. And so the first aid station was a mile longer than it was supposed to be, which on a, on a really hard run, that makes a big difference, that one mile. And then the next aid station was another extra mile longer. So as I'm doing the math in my head, this 49-mile race is now 52, 53, 54 miles. And so... Pretty quickly, and I, I'm at the second aid station enjoying my bacon, and somebody at the aid station says to someone who came in shortly after me, you guys just made the cutoff. You, you made the cutoff by one minute coming to this aid station, which immediately made me upset because, you know, that, like I said, those extra miles, that's a lot of additional time and that we weren't allotted, and so... I was mad, but then I was also wow, I was starting to do the math in my head, and when you're doing the math after running 20 miles at that point, uh, that's not good. And so I, I, a little bit of that unbelief started to creep into my head, but I thought, well, you know, I had, fallen to, I had gone to the back of the pack right off the get-go so that I could just take it easy and, and try to be smart. I walked when the people there walked. I ran when they ran. Um, and so, but I was feeling really good. And so I went, and then somewhere along the way, there was about another additional half mile added. And so I'm coming, and I 
get to the fourth aid station, and I have to climb out of, out of this valley, which is, was basically about four or five miles kind of uphill, um, so it was more walking than running. And I'm thinking, you know, there's no way. And I get into uh, one of the aid stations. It was the second to last aid station. Um, and they said, the guy said, well, you're, you're 10 minutes past the cutoff. But if you hurry, I'll let you go. And I'm thinking, no, you guys cheated me. You added four extra miles to this race. I'm going to enjoy some more bacon, and I'm still going to go. <laughs> and so I thought, I have plenty of time. You know, I, I gained it back. I was trying to do the math in my head. I've got this amount of time left. I've got this distance. I have to go at this speed. Um, I can make it. So I start to go and. I, I catch up to a couple of guys, a guy who I had met at a race before, and uh, he was faster than me, but he had slowed down for one of his friends and allowed me to get with him, and we get into the very final aid station, and it's starting to get dark, and the guy says, you know, you guys are past the cutoff, uh, but, you know, if you, you can still make the final cutoff at the end if you get out. Well, they didn't have bacon, but they had these these chips that and I was 42 miles into the race and these chips were almost as good as bacon at that point and so the guy I caught up with he and his friend they took off running and I thought I'm not going to make it if I keep sitting here eating these chips but I just couldn't leave and finally I took off and I I, I, I was like okay you know I know what I've got left and um it's, I, I can make this. I'm going to go. And so I'm running, and I can hear the guy that I'd been with, him and his buddy, and I could see their light, but I couldn't ever get with them. And, um, and I'm going, and I'm going, and uh, it, night comes, and I'm running on trail, and I'm running through, uh, through woods, and uh, I turn my light on, and I'm running. And there were several water crossings throughout the whole thing, and I thought, you know, I hear my time. Uh, my my phone would tell me what mile I was at and how 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 many minutes that mile would take me. And so I was going, and I thought, man, you know, I, I'm I'm going to be able to do this. And uh, and I just well, at first I I thought I need to save my my light, so I turned it on dim, and I fell over and over and over again. And I thought, you know, if I, if I can't stand on my feet, I'm definitely not, not going to make it. And so I turned it on bright, and about that time I passed this, this uh, older gentleman who was running about 20 miles less than I was, but he started the same time I was at, that I did. So the race was going to take him about 16. It ended up taking him 18 hours um, to run 20 miles less than I did. And I thought, maybe God's telling me, hey, you know, the reason you're falling is because you need to slow down and run with this guy. I have to say, I didn't listen to God. I left the poor man out there, and he finished eight hours or four hours after I did. Um, but I'm going, and with about three miles left, when I'm, I'm questioning whether or not I'm going to make it, my light goes out. And so I'm in the woods without a light. And I, I pull out my phone and turn on a flashlight on my phone. So I'm running. I'm having to cross a river. Some of you may have seen a picture I, or a video I posted of having to cross this river that had a rope and, or a creek. I won't exaggerate. It was a creek. 
Um, but it was over my head. It wasn't over my head. Um, and so, anyway, I, I'm thinking, man, I, I'm not, I don't know if I can do this. I'm, my phone battery is going to die at some point. My watch battery had already died. My phone's going to die. I'm out here on this trail. The trail was already hard to see. And I'm not going to make it. Well, I'm running, and all of a sudden, I see a, I see a mile marker, and I thought I had two miles left. And I only had about 25 minutes left. Well, it was taking me 15 minutes per mile. And do the math, I didn't have the time. And, and I'll admit, I... I broke down as I'm still trying to run and hold my phone, and I started crying. Like, you know, I, I, there were people. Uh, Brett McDuffie was the first person that I got uh, a message from while I was running, like, you can do this, let's go. And, and I thought, I'm going to let Brett down. Sorry, Brett. And, you know, and I talked to Sarah at some point during the race, and I thought, you know, I'll, I'll, some people, the people that know that I'm here and the very small few that actually care, um, I'm going to let them down, and, and I was crying, and then all of a sudden the math clicked that, no, I, I don't have that much, I have less than a mile and a half, and math-wise, I can, so I thought, all of a sudden, I, I, I regained my belief, and I started running, and I was, I was pushing it, and, you know, I'm 50-whatever, 52 miles in at this point, and I'm running the best I've ran all day long. And all of a sudden, I lost the trail that I was on. The, there were no markings on the trees. I couldn't see the trail. It was, it was just leaves, my little phone light. I, I couldn't see anything. And so I was trying to walk around, and I saw this light, these, this building with lights. And I thought, well, that's the visitor center, and the finish line's just around the, from the visitor center. So if I can get there, I can still make it. I'll just, if they disqualify me for cutting the course, then I'll just get disqualified, but I'm, I'm going to make it to the finish line. So I come, I go out of the woods, and I get to the visitor center, and it wasn't a visitor center. It was a bathroom, and it was around the, it was three-quarters of a mile from the visitor center. So I had felt like I had gone backwards, and so all of a sudden, I, I'm not going to make it all over again. I, I mean, there's just no way I can make it, but I thought, I've still got to get to the finish line, um, and so I I took off and I was running on the road and then I see lights in the woods and I thought, oh wow, I'm going to go in, I, I can get in behind those guys and I'll just go finish whatever uh, they're finishing, we're going to make it. And all of a sudden I come out of the woods, uh, get in behind them, tuck in, come off the trail and uh, end up like pushing it uh, to the finish line and I finished in 13 hours, 53 minutes and 18 seconds so I had a little over six minutes left to spare before my 14 hour time was up um, and the reason I shared that very long story was because you know in life we've got a lot of times where uh, you know we, we believe and then things happen in that unbelief starts to creep in and last week in our Sunday school class uh, a video we're watching as we're going through Psalm 119 the Matt Chandler the preacher on the video said you know there's a difference between 
knowing and believing. And I shared this uh, with uh, Miss Gray's class last week. He, he said, you know, you know the speed limit is 55, but you don't believe the speed limit is 55 until there's a cop around, right? And so he talked about the difference between knowing and believing. I got behind Tori Peak last Monday, and I think she thought I was a cop because she changed her speed. Yeah. Um, anyway. So it, if you will, uh, so today I'm just going to talk about, uh, look at some different instances and, and, and bring up some different questions that I've had on my own where I thought, do I really believe that? And if I do believe that, what, what's the evidence of that belief? Um, so the, my key scripture here, if you'll turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 24. Starting at verse 14, Mark chapter 9. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. All of a sudden, when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. Then he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Out of the crowd, one man answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought him to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the father. From childhood, he said, and many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible to the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Please bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much that... uh, that we can come here, Lord, and in our human nature, in our, uh, the times where our belief is faltering, and uh, Lord, that you're here to meet us, and you are constant. You don't change, Lord. We let the world get in our way. We let sin get in our way. Uh, we let so many things distract us. Lord, I pray that today you would help us check our status of belief and uh, see what you have for us, and and admit the areas that we have unbelief. Lord, I just pray that, uh, that today would be a day that we give ourselves wholly over to you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. You know, the disciples here, uh, most, and my message really is about, about what the, the Father says here, but I do want to hit on the disciples. The disciples could not cast out this evil spirit. If you go back to chapter 6, chapter 7, Jesus had just sent the disciples out 
and they were casting out spirits. They were uh, following God. They were right there with Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, go on. You have this power. And they were going door to door. And they were doing all this and from, uh, from city to city. And now all of a sudden they encounter a demon that they can't. And then they go on after, after Jesus casts out the demon. And they're having a side conversation with jesus and jesus says you know they said why couldn't we and jesus said well you know this is the only this is a kind that can only be cast out through through prayer and through fasting and so what had happened is whenever these whenever the disciples were right there with jesus and everything was good they could do it but as they kind of stepped back from jesus and they they weren't directly connected to his power their their belief their ability had wavered. And so, you know, that's, that's a thought to keep with you. But also, um, well, hitting here on the, the Father. Clearly, the Father believed that Jesus could help him. Clearly, he believed the disciples could help him. The disciples had already been doing it. So this man says, man... If any my, my son, he's at some point he's just gonna he's gonna die. There's this spirit inside of him, and he's being thrown into the fires, being thrown down to the ground. Uh, at some point he may fall off a cliff. Whatever it is, my son needs help, and these guys are helping. So I, if I just take my son to him, so clearly the father has belief, right? It's not. It doesn't seem like it's a question of unbelief, but then he tells Jesus. He says, "If you can do anything." And Jesus, if you look there in verse 23, um, and your, your version, uh, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and whatever you have may say it differently, but, uh, but this is, is, is the, uh, right here, the direct translation, the conversation that Jesus had. Jesus says, if I can, almost like, do you, do you know who you're talking to? Like, If I can, and Jesus says, you know, it, it's not me, it's you, if you will believe. And so the man says, I, I do believe, Lord, help my unbelief, right? What's, what it could be saying is, Lord, I believe, help me believe even more. And so I want to uh, look at some things for us in our lives and give you something to think about where where is your level of belief um most of you come every week some of you are visiting for the first time some of you are here for the first time in a while um whatever it is but you're here for a reason Uh, you could be doing any number of things you're here so do you believe, where's your level of belief that you're here for a reason? I, if we really not, oh yeah, I, I'm here because God's good. I'm here because I want to be with a community of believers. Do you truly believe that? Or is it you're just here because you, know, you haven't missed a Sunday here in 
the whole year. I mean, all last year and you're here this year and, you know, you're trying to keep a streak or maybe whatever it is. Are you here because, man, I, I've been going through some things and I need God. Do you believe that God's going to show up today? Uh, right now we're, we're in a time where we don't have a pastor. Do you believe that whoever is preaching on Sunday morning has a word that they've heard from God? I mean, do you, do you truly believe that? If you believe that, that I'm here this morning, that I'm up here, and that God has given me something, are you believing that in a way that also has you in a position to be here to hear it? Not just to be here and, and go on and have lunch with family. Do you believe that there's a message? Uh, I told... I've told some people this morning, they said, you know, are you ready? I said, yeah, everything I'm going to say today is basically plagiarized. And people didn't believe me. But um, I'm going to share a couple things, just one line from uh, Daniel and Dusty and Brett and Drew over the past couple weeks that, that, that made a difference in my life. And because I, I believe that those guys have messages from God that would impact me. Uh, Brett asked us, and I think this is, goes right along with, do you believe this? If everyone put as much time and prayer towards the church as I do, what would the church look like? Do you believe that God has a pastor for us? If you believe that, have you been praying for our search team? Have you been pl- praying for the congregation? Have you been praying for the pastor that's coming? I mean, if you say you believe God has it, uh, yeah, well, I've just put my faith in that it's going to happen. Have you been praying about it? If everyone else is given the same effort that you are towards that, what does our church look like? Dusty said, to repent means to feel the same way about my sin as God does. Do I believe that? You know, we say, ah, you know, I have, I have my struggles. I have the things that I'm really having a hard time with. God, just, just help me. Lord, I, I know I did the same thing for the thousandth time. I'm coming to you with a repentant heart. No, I'm coming because, man, I feel bad again. But if to repent means I feel the same way about it as God, then then that would be disgusting to me. It would repel away from me because I couldn't stand it because God can't stand it. When Drew preached, he said, an act of faith will demonstrate the capabilities of God and the necessity for having Him in our lives. An act of faith. Drew, if you remember when he preached, he preached about uh, in Mark whenever the four friends uh, lowered their friend down through the roof. And the Bible says, seeing their faith, a visible faith. 
And Drew really hit on that point. I'll, I'll read that again. An act of faith, a visible faith, will demonstrate the capabilities of God and the necessity for having Him in our lives. I had heard this before, and I mentioned it uh, last week in Sunday school. But what in your life this past week was such a demonstration of faith that you couldn't have made it through the week without seeing God? I I mean, for me, I I teach middle schoolers survival. but what, what is it? What, what really, if I was an unbeliever, if I didn't believe in God, how would this past week have been different? What could I just, what would I have not been able to get through? If I believe that my faith is supposed to be active and visible and it's supposed to show off the capabilities of God, what, do I really believe that? And then Daniel uh, in the first, his first of his three sermons this past week, or, or this at the beginning of this month, talked about the definition of conviction, and this is this is stuck with me. Conviction means the state of being convinced. Non-believers should be convinced that I am convinced that Jesus is who He says He is. Do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And if you believe that Jesus is the way, if you truly believe that, then go back to what Drew said, and your faith is visible, my faith that Jesus is the way, the one and only way, and I'm sharing that message with unbelievers. Because if, if, if there's any other way, then man, they'll find it. But right now, if they're non-believers and they're in my and I cross paths with them and I think this is the only way to get to heaven and I'm not sharing it then either I don't believe it or my belief in it is completely selfish uh yeah man listening to good messages makes it easier to preach another message How about this? In your life, do you believe that God cares about your daily life? They say, yeah, you know, I, I do believe that. I believe God's with me. I, everything's good. Well, here's a, a follow-up question. Is that conditional? I had a friend who was going through some difficult things just a, a month ago say, man, this is... This has really shook my faith. I thought, and, and I, I may have gone, had the same doubts with things, um, but I thought, wow, because your perfect American life was rattled for the first time in quite some time, your faith is shook? So was that faith at all? Again, uh, you know, most of our lives in this room we have good lives. We go home to our, our warm home that has some sort of heating source. We've got food. We, we've got family. We've got loved ones. We've got, 
And whenever that gets disrupted, all of a sudden, man, my, my faith has been shaken. Well, did you have faith or did you just have comfort? Uh, if, if you didn't listen to uh, Daniel from his first message um, that he preached on December 1st, and he was talking about the biggest danger in the church being cultural Christians, getting comfortable, that happens a lot. Uh, if you're on Facebook, go to the Daniel First Baptist Church page and listen to that. Just, uh, just a short little one-minute clip from his sermon then. Uh, and if you don't have Facebook, find the internet, go to fbcdan.com, go to the sermon archives, and go listen to that message. Psalm 139, 1-5 says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. I love this verse. And, I, and I've, I've paid attention to those first four verses and this verse five. Uh, it just really hit me as I was preparing for this message. He says, and this is Psalm 139, if you're writing it down. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand upon me. Do we believe that if we're a child of God, that we are truly a child of God? You know, uh, I saw a picture this past week of a mother who had, had bruises all over her because her and her child were in a hailstorm and she just covered up her child and the the hailstones just battered down on her but she took those bruises she took that beating for her child she encircled her child her hands were upon her child as protection do we believe that even when some of those hailstones get through and they batter down on us we still believe that God has His hand on us, that God's encircling us. Do you believe that the Bible is God's Word? Most of us, yeah, I believe that. Do you believe that and that it has the right to command your belief? And the right to command your action. Yeah, we, we, I, man, this it's the Word of God. It's God, God inspired it. I believe it. I'm so thankful for it. In times of, times of discomfort, I can find comfort here. But what about those verses where it calls you to action? What about those verses, and, I, and I'm fixing to get down to this, where it, it tells you to love your neighbor. And it tells you to help those in need. You know, we, Daniel shared some of the needs, um, and I don't remember all four of them, but one of them is to restock our pantry. Uh, you know, we don't realize how many people our church feeds. That's an act of service. We, when it tells us to take care of our little children, and we're having trouble getting people to work in the nursery, or... Miss Barrick is in need of an assistant, and we're having, she's been in there by herself for the last 
month or two. We're having trouble getting someone to go in there and just sit and be a comfort to Miss Barrick to, to shepherd our kids. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Without the Word of God, if you are a believer, if you are a child of God, you are not complete. You are not complete until, well, we're never complete until we get to heaven, but we're not, we're so empty here on earth until we get into the Word of God and let God speak to us. Oh, we love talking to God, right? Especially when things are rough. But do we love listening to God? Uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy stepping in our more experienced classrooms back here and asking them what they're learning about on Sunday morning just because I, I, I believe that they have the most experience and that they've got something to share and that what they're studying, they've probably already studied it. They, they actually open their Bible throughout the week, hopefully, or at least open their lesson and looked at it before they got to church on Sunday morning. And so they've got a, something to share Here's, here's something that another... Oh, sorry. We've been going through Psalm 119, and, and Psalm 119 is 176 verses, and it's just, it's, it's God, it, or it's David just going back and forth, but a lot of it's just love for Scriptures. And David says, How happy are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep His decrees. And seek Him with all their heart. Happy are those whose way is blameless. Happy are those who live according to His decrees. Who live according to His instruction. You can't live, you can't be happy, you can't live that way if you don't know what God's instructions are. Um, I'm going to Hit this last point. Can you, with full, full belief, all uncertainty out of the way, say that you believe God calls Christians to show compassion to people in need? Psalm 82, 3-4 says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. What this looks like in application, if we're choosing to show compassion to people of God, the same people that God does, is we'll change our priorities and how we use our time. Daniel gave some tangible ways week before last of doing that. I think we all know ways that we can tangibly show people the love of God um, we're set free to give because we trust that we trust God for our needs sometimes we I don't know if I can I've already given my tithe I don't know if I can give to the Lottie Moon offering you know I it was just 
you know, about 10 years ago that our church goal was $10,000, $20,000, and we gave, we get to three, did we ever get to 3000 this year? Right around 3000 this year. People that have been forgotten by society will be cared for and restored if we truly believe that we're called to show compassion on the same people that God does. Uh, the Spirit of Christ will be alive and well in our lives. The Spirit of Christ will be visible in our lives because of the way we love people. Doug and I were just talking about uh, about 11 years ago we went to Baltimore. Um, he, Doug, and, and Keith Cluthy went on just kind of a scout trip and just watching the, the church up there, the way they loved on the community, unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, as people see how much we care and, and ask us what we know, we can respond, it's not what we know, but who we know. His name is Jesus, and he would love to meet you. People will see, why, why are you doing this? Why are you being so friendly? Why are you helping? Why are you giving? Why are you this? Well, it's not because of me. It's because of who. Who I know. What I truly believe. I believe that God has called me to be helpful. As I close out, and uh, you know, like I said, I, I just wanted to give some, some areas that hopefully you can think about and, and look at your level of of true belief that uh, you know, life or death, yes, I believe in this. And the most important question, and some people in here haven't answered it, uh, is do you know that you know that you know that if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? You believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the everlasting life, the eternal life after we pass on from this earth. Do you know that you know, or better yet, do you believe that you believe that you believe? you have full belief that if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven? Oh, I, my mom, who I love dearly, says, you know, uh, well... You know, only God knows, and I hear a lot of people say, only God knows. No, I know. I know. If you don't have that same certainty and belief, um, I, I'd love for you to come down. I want to ask Daniel. Uh, it's Kayla. Kayla's not here. Uh, Daniel Daniel, be up here. Um, if you want to talk to Daniel, to me, uh, if you're not comfortable talking to any of us, we can get one of our females up here to speak with you. Uh, but I, I would encourage you not to leave today until you know, that, or better yet, until you believe with all certainty that you're going to heaven when you die. And any of these other areas of belief, if, if there's any doubt, I, I'll pray with you and come to the altar. You can stay in your seat. Uh, it's, but I encourage you to uh, just take a checkup on where your level of belief is. So, um,